And on our readings this last week, there's one passage that is both, um, or sorry, for this week, there's one passage that's both inspiring and confusing. Because Jesus marvels at finding faith in one of the most unlikely places. And when we talk about faith and our faith and what we put our faith in, we can hear a whole bunch of different stories, different experiences within our community here. There'll be some of you that will feel like you've had real tests of your faith and others that are brimming with faith because they've seen God move in extraordinary ways. We all have different relationship with faith and what that looks like. And I hope today as we talk about it, we're going to just work through where each and every one of us are maybe with faith and help us grow in that. Because as we read, if you're again reading with us in Luke 6, and again, when we look through all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're all like parallel accounts of the same thing, right? It's talking about the good news, the gospel of Jesus, but it's coming from it from four different perspectives. And so we're going to see some of the same stories in, the, in our readings, but from somebody else's perspective. And at the end of Luke 6, which is, which is really what we see from Matthew about being the Sermon on the Mount, and Matthew gives like a really long version, right? He has multiple chapters assigned to the Sermon on the Mount. And Luke, in his, he ends it with uh, the uh, talk about building your house upon the rock, doesn't he? And on that rock, what he's relating to is Jesus being Lord. And if we know that he's Lord, we'll hear his words and do what he says. And the whole parable of building on the rock or on the sand, that whole parable is about whether we hear God and do his word or we don't in the two situations. And what I would love for us to hear in that parable is this, is that you have faith that he is Lord, you'll do what he says. Because storms will come. But you will not be lost because he cannot be shaken. If you have faith that he is Lord, when the storms come, you will not be lost because he cannot be shaken. And after this, after he gives that, that Sermon on the Mount and ends it with that, that, that statement, the next thing that Luke wants to bring us to is this, that Jesus entering the city of Capernaum and Jewish elders approach him from that city as he's on his way in. And they, they approach him on behalf of a Roman centurion. And a Roman centurion would be a leader of about 100 soldiers. Somebody who leads about that many. Now, the centurion has a servant that is gravely ill. And if we think about it, what's happening here is very unexpected. Jewish leaders did not really like Roman soldiers. They were not, they were not besties with them. They were not usually advocating on behalf of them. They more often detested them and put up with them because they had swords and would use them on you. They seem to know, though, as we read through it, that their actions are unusual. Because it says in Luke 7, 4 to 6, And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him. For he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us 
our synagogue. And so Jesus goes with them. See, that was also unusual. It's one thing for, for the Jewish elders of the community, and elders aren't just like some, some, some people from the community. These elders would be the leaders of the community. And so not only does, do they think that this Roman centurion's all right, he also seems to think that they're all right, that he has a respect and an admiration for them. This would have been just as unusual as the other. Sometimes faith in one another can be found in spaces that defy the odds. And as amazing as their mutual faith and respect is, it's the centurion's faith in Jesus that Jesus marvels at. Because as they neared the house, as they grew closer to the house, because Jesus probably obviously piqued by what is going on, elders coming on behalf of a centurion and, and a centurion having built a synagogue, their, their house of worship. As he's going to the house to, to see this servant that's ill, another group of people from the centurion, friends of the centurion come and they intercept them. I'm sure they probably huddled up briefly and, and, and like had a, had a little bit of a conference going with the elders as they came up. Maybe they thought they were telling them that, well, it's too late, the servant's dead. Maybe they were discussing some, some things until one of the new friends probably blurts out that Jesus actually doesn't even need to come to the house itself. Why? Because the centurion doesn't think he's even worthy for Jesus to come. To his house. He's not worthy of that honor for Jesus to come. And this is how he responds because of not feeling worthy. He says, therefore, I did not presume to come to you. He didn't even want to come personally, but he says this, but say the word, say the word. All you have to do, Jesus, is say the word. That's all I need from you is to speak it out. And let my servant be healed, for I too am a man set under authority. He recognizes that Jesus has authority because he is familiar with the structure of authority looks like. He says he has soldiers underneath me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him, he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Not even in Israel have I found such faith. Israel, the place where they should be expecting a Messiah, they should be expecting someone who comes with such power that can overwhelm any circumstance. In Israel, he cannot find that level of faith that says, oh, Jesus, you don't even need to come into the room. Don't even approach my house. I don't even need you to come here. You are so, your authority is so great that you just need to speak it out. And I know what will happen. Living in the kingdom is trusting in what only our king can do. And the centurion was acutely aware of that authority. 
And if Jesus was the Messiah, he had that authority. Period. Sometimes we find faith in Jesus where it is exercised in our lives. Like the centurion where he exercised faith and said, you know what, don't even come to my house. I'm not even worthy to have you at my house. Just say it from wherever you are and I know my servant's gonna be okay. Sometimes we see faith in those circumstances where it's right there when we exercise that faith and in response to us exercising it, we see something happen. But we, we use that word sometimes today. We use it intentionally. This, this weekend, uh, Pastor Ingrid was getting ready to drive uh, all the youth to go up to Orleans to catch the bus. So all the, the youth leaders like Tristan and Fomka and Nikeo, they were all going to be leaders and the kids that were going, uh, the students that were going. There's, so there's eight of them going in total, um, which, is, which is great, driving up there. Uh, and we have an eight-seater. But we also have all their luggage, right? And if you know kids, when they pack for these things, it's just like, it's just like, it looks like a pile of garbage bags full of stuff right there. Their sleeping bag just shoved in something and all this other stuff shoved in there as well. It's massive amounts of stuff. And you're like, you're gone for two and a half days, right? But it looks like they're gone forever. So we have an eight-seater. We have eight people going. How much room for luggage do you think that leaves? Right? Only one people can bring their stuff, right? It's that small. So we're like, oh, man, what are we going to do? Why didn't we think about this earlier? Uh, so long story short, we decided the best option was to use a toolie that we have, like a roof um, carrier that we have that can fit stuff in. So I put it on the car, on, the, on top of the car, and then I was like, all right, well, just get the key, because you have to open it up and then clamp it down, and I can't find the keys. We had used it this summer when we had gone on vacation, and I'm like, where did I put the keys? I can't find the keys. And I usually put my keys always in the, the same spot. I usually do. But I can't find them. We can't find them. We're looking everywhere in the house. Ingrid's tearing apart drawers in my bed and my bedside stand trying to find everything. We're, we just can't find them. Uh, and we're searching everywhere. And at the point where it's like, we got to go because they have to get there. Fomka's on the worship team. She's got to get up there earlier. And so they have to absolutely leave. And we're trying to figure out what to do. And that means we'll probably have to take two cars to go up. And as a last resort, we try a pair of keys that don't look like they're going to fit. They're big honking keys, and usually the keys for it are really small little keys. But we're desperate. And it just so happens that they were the keys. They were the right keys. I'd attach them to all the extra keys for our house that we have and, and leave on the... So they were exactly where they should be, right where they're supposed to be. But just as we find lost stuff sometimes, right where it's supposed to be, we find it right where it's supposed to be. But how many of you know, that's not usually the way it goes. That's not usually the way it goes. We usually get to where they're supposed to be and you're like, it's supposed to be right here. And it's not right here. It's, it's, not, it's not here. I can't find it. Why isn't it here? Usually we're trying to find stuff and we're like, why is it there? Why did, how did it ever get into that? place. Our faith is somewhat the same. 
Just because we see it exercised in one space, in one person's life, and we go like, well, I should be able to just duplicate that in my life. If I just apply what they just did, then I should have the same result. But it doesn't seem to work that way. It doesn't always seem to show up that way with faith in our lives. We can't just take somebody else's faith or how they apply their faith and see it happen in our lives. Why? Hebrews 12 2 tells us this. It tells us to be looking to Jesus, who is the founder and perfecter of our faith. No matter where our faith is right now, we need to realize that it's Jesus who is the founder of that faith. And as we walk through life and as we, we come up against different circumstances that test our faith, it's to Jesus that we need to look to to perfect that faith, to work out what it looks like for our faith to be built up and lived out in whatever circumstances we're facing. Because it's in the person of Jesus that we find faith. And that is where the centurion placed his faith that Jesus marveled at, in Jesus. Hebrews 11, one to six says this, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. Just speak it out, Jesus. That's all you need to do. So that what is seen was not made out of the things that are visible. Amazing how we see that in the life of the centurion. He didn't even see Jesus, and yet the things that were made, his servant well, was made out of what was unseen. By defining faith as assurance and conviction, God is revealing that faith, as he sees it, isn't something based on our imagination or our wishes. It's not only hope. It isn't something that we grasp onto or try to grasp onto but can't hold onto. Rather, faith is a resolute confidence in something not yet seen in the future will come to pass. The something not yet seen in the future will come to pass. Why? Because of God. Because the substance of our faith is not in what, but in who. It is trusting God to do what he, what he said he will do. And for this, we have to understand that faith isn't a formula. It's a trusted relationship with God. Because when we reduce our faith to a formula, well, if I do this, and if I do this, and if I say this, and I say that, then this should be the result. My faith should result in this. But that's a formula. That's saying, I did all the things right in order to see this result. But how many of you know, nothing you do right will result in good because only God is good. So our faith instead is placed in the relationship with God. Our faith is in him alone, not what he will do for us, but in who he is, no matter what he does for us or doesn't do for us. 
As we keep going in this chapter, the next story then is placed in sequence with purpose. Luke is, is following this line of this faith trail for us, helping us wrap our heads around what faith looks like. And it didn't happen right away. It's not like in Capernaum, he's there and he's like, hey, don't even come to my house. You can heal him. I trust you. I know you are God. And then he just turns around and the next situation happens. This happened in Capernaum, but the next story takes place in this small town called Nain, which is, I know we, the geography of Israel, even with our current uh, crises going on there, is, is not fresh in our minds or most of us can barely find our way you know, anywhere in town, let alone uh, on a map in Israel. But the next town is at least a 12-hour walk away because everybody's walking at that, in that, that time frame. So that's a 12-hour walk for him to get there. So this isn't happening, you know, this is not like I turn, I heal a Capernaum like a centurion's uh, servant, and then I turn around and I do this next thing. There's time in between. But Luke wants you to see these events unrolling one after the other so you can see the greater picture. And I, I want you to realize where he is. This, he's in this town, and it's, again, just outside Nazareth. If you remember, if you are following St. Heartstrong, you'll remember when you read in Mark that the only other time that it says Jesus marveled was when he went to Nazareth, and he marveled because he could not find enough faith there to do anything. His hometown didn't even believe in him. What irony. And so in Luke 7, 12 to 17, it says, as he drew near to the gate of the town, and this is Nain that he's, he's heading towards, behold, the man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And so in this culture at that time, that means she has now lost any sort of support that she had. Her husband is gone, her son is gone, and now she is alone. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. When he saw her, he had compassion on her. And he said to her, do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier. And the bearer stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. And as it would us, fear seized them all. And they glorified God saying, a great prophet has arisen among us and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread throughout the whole of Judea and the surrounding country. In this story, we don't see any visible exercise of faith, do we? We don't see her in her mourning as she's walking, that she sees out of her corner of her eye, Jesus, and she's like, man, I wish that he would do something about this. There's no visible expression of faith here at all. Jesus just sees a widow lost in her grief about her son's death and has compassion for her. Now, whether you can see this and picture yourself in this scenario as the widow in this passage, 
Or if you have a real scenario in your life where your circumstances have you right at that edge where grief is overwhelming you and your heart is weeping, if that's the place you're in, can I ask you this? Do you trust God sees and has compassion on you? Do you trust that God sees you in your moment of weakness, in your moment of mourning, in your moment of trial and has compassion on you? Because sometimes we find faith in Jesus where it's exercised in our lives. And other times we find faith only by trusting that God sees and loves us in the midst of hardship. Our faith can't rest in the outcome. It resides in the trust that we are never alone. Like I said at the beginning, storms will come. And because Jesus is the foundation, because we put our faith in the person of Jesus, when the storms come, we will not be shaken. Because the storms will come. The outcome may not change and come the way we want this side of heaven. So for right now, right here in the midst of the storm, what do we cling to? Rather, who do we cling to? Jesus. We cling to Jesus. Even when our story is challenges and ends in ways that we would rather not face. We see this in where Luke brings us next to a story with an unpleasant outcome for John the Baptist. Because like we just said, news about what Jesus was doing was spreading throughout the region. It was spreading like wildfire, so much so that even John's disciples, those who had followed John the Baptist when he started preaching repentance, they bring him the news where he is because he's in prison right now. In Luke 7, 18 to 19, we read this, that the disciples of John reported all those things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord Jesus, saying, are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? Why would he say that? Jesus replies like this way, saying, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Offended. Why would anyone be offended with the blind seeing, lame walking, lepers cleansed, deaf hearing, dead being raised, poor having the good news preached to them? Why would anybody be offended by that? Maybe that's why John is sitting there going like, are you the one that is to come? Should we be looking for another? Why would he say that? All of what was happening is the very fulfillment of what the prophet Isaiah would had had prophesied about. This is what exactly John was saying was supposed to come. This is the one that he baptized and said, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. And he's now asking 
are you the one? His faith is saying, are you the one? Circumstances, they have the potential to impact, to influence our faith in Jesus. In poetic fashion, Jesus is telling John that that he is the one that they've been waiting for. But the outcome that John has isn't going to look like a raised servant or a widow's son coming back to life. John's going to lose his life. And John will be blessed by not being offended by his faith being fulfilled later rather than immediately. Sometimes we find faith when we exercise trust in Jesus. And sometimes we find faith when by trusting that God sees us and cares for us in the midst of our circumstances. And other times there's a testing of our faith that Jesus is who he says he is even when we don't see happen what we wish would happen. Because in times of testing, the snare of offense against God is real and present. Our faith can be tested when we don't get what we think we deserve in life. And beautifully, our faith can also be ignited when we get what we don't deserve. Because Luke drives this point home in his, his, uh, his next story, the final story that we see in what we call chapter 7. Jesus is having a meal with Simon, a Pharisee. And when a guest, especially like a rabbi, like Jesus would be considered a teacher, like Jesus would be considered, potentially comes over, it's customary to wash your guests' feet to potentially give them a kiss and anoint them as they enter your house to show honor to them. But Simon doesn't do any of this. Simon's looking at Jesus skeptically. He's looking at him as a Pharisee going, I don't trust you because you're taking away the power that I have over the people. I'm going to invite you into my home because of the pretenses of you being a teacher and a rabbi and me being a teacher in the community and we need to talk about things, but I'm not going to honor you. That's the condition that he walks into because he lacks faith in Jesus. He's a very faithful man to his religion, but he lacks faith in Jesus. During the meal, a woman in the city who is a sinner and known by all to be a sinner, she disturbs the dinner party. In verse 38 of Luke 7, it says this, standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet her, his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. And Jesus allowing this quote-unquote sinful woman to get close, it heightened Simon's mistrust of Jesus. If he only knew who she was, if he only knew what she had done, he would not be letting her get anywhere close to him. Jesus tells him a parable because Jesus knows the heart of him to teach this Pharisee what is really going on. And so from verse 41 to 50, we read this. He says, a certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii 
and the other, 50. That's a disparagingly different amount of money in their, in their time frame. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And as he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wept my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. One thing I want to know here, what he wasn't saying to Simon is this. You haven't sinned enough. You're not really good at sinning. You're being too good, Simon. You need to be way worse so that I can forgive you all a lot. Then you're going to love me more. He's absolutely not saying that. What he's actually saying to Simon is, you don't see yourself for what you really are. You don't see yourself for the sin that's actually in your heart. You think you're a good person but you don't know the depravity of your own soul. And so when forgiveness is offered, you think, well, it was only for a little bit. Versus it changes everything. It changes your eternal destination when Jesus forgives you. Because she met Jesus, the author and the perfecter of her faith. She didn't call out, she just cried. She didn't come with expectation. She came with exaltation. So how do you come to Jesus today? What circumstances do you face, or do you, do you face that put tension on your faith in Jesus? What are you going through right now that when you come to Jesus, you're like, man, I really wish you would have showed up already. I really wish you would have you would have handled this for me. I really wish this would have been solved by you already. I thought if I put my faith in you and I said, Jesus, I'm following you, that you would make this all come about in a way that, that makes it easier for me. Today, there's purpose in Luke's message for you, wherever you're at, to build your faith, to sustain your faith, to ignite your faith and to let you know that no matter what he sees you he absolutely sees you so what did you need to hear today did you need to hear that faith isn't a formula it's a trusted relationship with god so 
stop putting your faith in doing things right and instead be with God. Maybe you need to hear that faith resides in the trust that we are never alone. Have you felt alone in the circumstances you're facing? Have you felt alone that you are somehow doing this in your own strength, that God isn't with you in it? Know that you are never alone. And oftentimes you're not doing it in your strength. You're doing it in the strength that he's sustaining you with. It's a trust that he sees you, trust that he's with you. Maybe you need to hear that faith isn't offended with God's timing. Maybe you've looked back in your life and you've looked over the experiences that you've had and you're like, God, if you only showed up then, if you only showed up then, this wouldn't have happened. Where were you then, God? Our faith, though, can't be offended with God when his timing isn't what we want it to be. We have to trust that God, I don't know why I've gone through this, but I trust that you have got me no matter what. I don't wanna be offended with you, God, for what I've gone through. I'm gonna trust that God, no matter what I walk through, if I put my faith in you, if I rely on you, if I see you, if I see you, that I'm gonna be okay. And maybe you need to hear today that faith responds with love. That when we put our faith in Jesus, when we say, God, I see what you've done for me. I see what you've done for me. I see where I have been lost and broken in my own ways. And I see what your redeeming love does for me. Your grace does for me. What you've brought me out of. I see what you've done, the forgiveness that you offer me. I see what it's done in my life. And my response is love. We don't have the option today of bowing down before him. We don't have the option, oh, I don't even have hair, to cry at his feet and wipe his feet with my hair. We don't have these options today, but in our hearts, we definitely can. We definitely can say, God, I love you. I love you for what you've done. My life is lived out as love for what you've done. So if you think you've messed up, if you think you lack faith, or if you've doubted Jesus when you should have trusted him, just like Jesus is saying about the woman, she is clear on who she is and what she's done. And being clear with her identity as, a, as with her sin and as a sinner, she also is clear on who he is. He is her savior. Be clear today on who you are but also be clear on who Jesus is and what he is for you. Theologian and, and pastor Tom Wright says it like this, for Luke in this moment in his, in his gospel, true faith is what happens when someone looks at Jesus and they discover God, his forgiveness, and the sign and proof of this faith is love. Today, put your faith in Him. The blind are seeing. The lame are walking. Lepers are being cleansed. The deaf are hearing. The dead are being raised. And the poor are hearing good news. Put your faith in Him.
in the person of Jesus. Not in how you can live out your faith, but in the person of Jesus. Put your faith in Him. And we understand that today's world is it's an ever-changing world. And if, if you follow any news whatsoever, you know that our world is in turmoil. And as, as a Life Center School of the Bible, we are we're we were honored to host an evening uh, coming up this Tuesday for anyone to attend. Because the second longest sermon that Jesus ever gave in the Gospels is in Matthew 24. And it's it's what we would coin the Olivet Discourse, which is just a fancy pants way of saying this, the, the sermon that he gave in, on the Mount of Olives. Olivet Discourse, Mount of Olives sermon. But the primary concerning of Jesus when giving this, this sermon was this, that no one leads you astray. And so regarding the current war in Israel and the conflict going on there and even in Ukraine, much is written, much is speculated, much is spoke on by many people in the, the media and elsewhere. But our desire as a church is to lead you, our Life Center family, well not astray. And so we invite you if, you, if you can make it out this Tuesday night, uh, October 17th, from 7 to 9 p.m., um, uh, Barry, Pastor Barry Boucher, Dr. Barry Boucher, is, uh, is going to be giving a presentation on Matthew 24 uh, and hosting a question and answer session on the Mount of Olives discourse, the war in Israel, and uh, it's eschatological, which is another fancy word for saying end times um, implications for us today. What does it mean for us today? Does what's happening in Israel impact us in any way, prophetically uh, or anything like that? We want to be able to help you walk through that because it's a noisy world out there. And so if you have the chance to join us in, uh, in Orleans, He'll be, he'll be giving that presentation. We may have the ability to record it and put it on YouTube, but we want to make sure that if you want to show up for that, you can. Because we want our faith, even in difficult times, even in times where it looks scary in the world around us and atrocities are happening. It can be hard to make sense of this all and to find our faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. And so we want to walk that. But today, Today, where you're at right now, put your faith in Him. Not a formula. You're never alone. Even in His timing, if it's not what you like, if it's not what you wanted, rest in Him and respond in love. Let's pray. God, we just thank You. We thank you that faith isn't a formula. We thank you that there isn't just a bunch of do's and don'ts that, that put us in right standing with you. But instead, it's Jesus, your son, that opens a door for us to have a right relationship with you. That we don't put our faith in ourselves because of how easy it is for us to fail and how, for us to fall short and for us not to live up to what we need to do in order to see things happen. But God, instead, our faith is firmly planted in you. Anything else is like building that foundation on sand because storms will come. But we put our faith 
in you because you are the rock that will never be moved. You are the cornerstone of our faith, of our, the foundation of who we are. So God, help us respond in love to you today. Give us faith where we need it to walk through circumstances that in our own strength we can never handle. But we know you are sufficient. Thank you, Jesus. We pray this in your name, God.